you have to text me some type of victory tonight on a betting line and it's got to hit or we are in trouble, you're not going to be doing the segment come Thursday. Right, and we need we an announcement pl- on that, a public we, announcement on what the bet is. We, say it right now. Need, what, what? I'll say it right now. I'll take the what? Blue Jays' money line tonight. Ooh, the way geez. those bats Money are line. swinging, oh my goodness. Oh, you got Jose I just don't see it happening. I don't I don't see a loss coming tonight. Oh no guy. Al's brother, the ultimate cooler. <laughs> From here on in, take the opposite when you're dealing with Al's brother. Wow. I mean he just couldn't see. That the endless assault of run scoring, the RBIs of home runs, was going to end. I mean, clearly it did. 2 nothing. They lost to Tampa last night and basically had the, the hit scared out of them. Uh, so this was very predictable to some of us. But Al's brother now going in the opposite direction, trending downward and expected to be roasted Big time on overdrive this afternoon. Already been piled on by first up, and we're doing our job right here. Al's brother has lost his touch. This is a breaking story. <laughs> the poor guy, he's going to get piled on. O-Dog, you know how O-Dog is. I mean, from the opening moment of overdrive for the next, the ensuing three hours, it'll be like a, a dog in a butcher's shop who hasn't eaten for a while. He's just going to gnaw away at Al's brother. I feel bad for Al's brother, sort of, but we will enjoy the nonsense that will ensue at overdrive later today. So Al's brother misses the call. Wow. Yeah, first time they've been shut out since July 23rd against the Mets. They had 52 runs over a four-game win streak. I mean, seriously, if somebody came up to you and said, 52 wins over the last four games, what do you think is going to happen tonight? And I might come up with, uh, I think they're going to dry up tonight. That, that's what I would have said. But, of course, Dow's brother went the other way. So they entered today's game, and it is a 3 o'clock start against Tampa. Jays against Tampa. Robbie Ray back in the mound, 11-5, 269 ERA. And hopefully he won't be berated by the opposing manager as he was last Friday night in Baltimore. I mean, was that the freakiest thing you've ever seen? I don't, I don't recall ever seeing that before. That is just absurd that that happened. But nonetheless, uh, you know, Ray didn't have his best outing. So hopefully he's not berated uh, today, and I don't think he will be. Um, and so the, the Jays sit uh, with New York at five, playing 559 ball, played uh, the same number of games. Boston has one more win and one more loss. So I know what you're saying. They played two more games, but... Um, they are tied with New York and Toronto as well. And Boston has a .001 deficit in the winning percentage because of those two extra games. So they're a game ahead in the win column and a game ahead or behind, if you will, in the loss column. So this is a seat squirmer. We're officially calling this a seat squirmer. Not all the precincts are reporting. And there's the West Coast vote as well. So at this point... We're calling it a seat squirmer. So that's the Jays story. We'll get into that a little later on. I guess today, Kevin McGran from the Toronto Star talking about the Leafs as they have their development camp has wrapped up. Uh, the, the regulars, a lot of them, are skating informally, but with Leaf training personnel on hand. In fact, uh, Kristen Chilton has reported that Justin Hall in this informal session this morning left with a trainer, so don't know what's happening there. And Morgan Riley had some sort of a physical ailment earlier this week as well. So, again, pre-camp. And camp officially starts a week today. Where did that go? This is hilarious. Every time you cross Labor Day, it's like somebody hits the speed button. And before you know it, camp opens, season starts, NBA starts, football gets going, uh, the CFL hits the serious stage, and then you wake up and it's Christmas. 
I, mean, I hate to be mundane about that, but that's pretty well how it goes. It's like you step on a, something slippery and sh- you're right into Christmas. It goes that fast and there's so much going on. Although today, I, I must admit, a bit of a lull in terms of you know action from last night to talk about, but plenty of other stuff. We've got week seven in the CFL, week two in the NFL. Matthew Shinetti from the CFL on TSN will stop by as well. And then at the end of the broadcast, final segment, we're, segment, we're going to have uh, Bruce Hills on. He's the Just for Laughs president. Going to pay tribute to Norm MacDonald. Um, I don't know what your thoughts are. Norm. Norm was, uh, I just loved watching this guy just because he, uh, it's, you know, all, com- all com- uh, sorry, comedians are, are different. What, what a, a difficult thing to do. Yeah, I'm going to be a comedian. So who do you copy? Well, you can't copy anybody. You have to be, it's like a fingerprint. You have to be totally yourself. You have to somehow find a way to create material, and it's endless material. You watch those five-minute stand-ups and how well-crafted they are, and just pick your favorite comedian. Um, that's not easily done. That's well-written, well-executed, and well-delivered. Um, and, and, you know, for him, uh, I, there was just that, that little that glint he had in his eye and the facial expression. It was almost daring you to laugh, and, and that added to the humor. I mean, what a great loss. You know, obviously, condolences to all his family and friends, and, and Bruce Hill would know him very well. Uh, Norm MacDonald, uh, cer- certainly familiar with uh, Saturday Night Live, 93 to 98, and, uh, of course, Just for Laughs, and many other, I mean, talk shows, this guy was, uh, he was a Canadian. That, that's the best way to say it. Born in Quebec, and, and um, you know, he was, he represented us well, and really pushed the envelope, cost him his job, and Saturday Night Live. He wasn't afraid to go there. And, and quite frankly, if, if you're a comedian and you're afraid to go there, you're not a comedian. But anyway, we'll get to that later on. Let's talk about the Leafs. Kevin McGrann is here from the Toronto Star. Kevin, welcome. How are you today, sir? I'm excellent guy. How are you? Good guy. Good, good. And now we're speaking <laughs> the right language here. <laughs> uh, so, so let's go back to the development camp is over. Uh, what did you take out of it? I mean, there's some names that, that popped up, but, but this has had a new thrust because of Haley Wickenheiser. And I was kind of impressed with, with how she approached this and, and, and the direction it, it uh, started to proceed in. How about you? Yeah, it looked to me like, I mean, I think they, uh, they, they took the right attitude. They wanted to get the players playing. They it was going to be more about you know, being competitive and get the guys skating because so many of them, uh, you know, didn't play at all last year or played partially last year because of the way COVID and the pandemic sort of affected leagues across the world. Um, it was very uh, North American centric, so you didn't really get too many of the Europeans um, over here. So there was a lot of guys that were here as free agents or on tryouts, but the guys that rose to the top are the guys that. To me, to my eyes, uh, are the ones that were supposed to. Certainly, Nick Robertson can skate. Like he just, he was easily the best player through that. Um, and uh, Alex Steves, the guy I didn't really know all that well, was a highly touted uh, free agent out of uh, Notre Dame, signed in the signed in the spring, and he was really the first guy that Haley Wickenheiser uh, worked with when she uh, she got her new poster, was got promoted. So they had a little bit of a. Uh, their, their communication was good. Their chemistry was good. And Steve's really does look like a, a player to keep your eye on as, uh, as uh, we morph from the uh, rookie camp to the, uh, to the uh, rookie uh, tournament in Traverse City where, the, where they are now. So, yeah, I thought, they, I thought the focus was good on games and playing and, and being competitive and letting the players show their skills. And I thought Haley uh, did a, a really good job uh, in terms of communicating what she wanted from the players and having them follow through on that. Yeah, let's circle around on a couple of things. First of all, Nick Robertson. I mean, there's some sort of talk about uh, how he's going to reach the next next level. And I mean, really, this guy has uh, sibling rivalry pressure because his brother did so well in Dallas. I mean, I don't know how you can rein him in, and I don't know if you want to. 
Oh yeah, this 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 uh, this guy's got all the confidence in the world. I mean, he's he's a great he's a great communicator himself, and I, you can see when he's on the ice that he really really wants that puck. And uh, I think what we, we've all known that he's a great shooter because you know that's what he did in junior, uh, and he was a pretty good scorer in the limited time with the Marlies. What what I didn't really see very much from him. Um, uh, until this particular camp was his ability to pass the puck, his ability to make plays. And I think that's an area of his game that uh, I think we'll all be impressed with as he goes from one level of pro to the next level of pro. And, and out of the group of them there that's uh, going to be playing in Traverse City in the next few days, I think Nick Robertson is the is the one that has a chance, the only only one of them that has a chance to make the team out of uh, out of, camp, out of training camp. There's an opening on the uh, on the left wing, and he plays there. So, um, you know, best of luck to him. Okay, what what we'll do is uh, I'm going to go back to Steve's in a second, but since we're we're on Nick Robertson now, I'm going to throw him in with all these other forwards that are auditioning for spots on the on the Leaf forward units. And, and quite frankly, it's 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 not really an open audition because the the roles on, on the left side are very very specific. Um, having said that, who do you think can make that specific adjustment? Well, the guy that gets Mitch Marner and Austin Matthews the puck the most is the guy that's gonna hmm. is the guy that's gonna get there. And I I would say that Nick Ritchie is probably the most the, the one built in in that way, the one most like Zach Hyman that uh, uh, he probably has the inside track as far as I'm concerned. Uh, the other one to sort of keep an eye on is whether really Mikhaev gets a, a, a true addition on that side. I, I know that he's played with them a little bit, and I know what his shooting percentage is like, and I know, you know, you give him the puck on the breakaway, and you know, he, it's going to go wide. But, but if he if he can do something about uh, converting an offense, I mean, Zach Hyman had trouble early in his career too. Uh, converting converting chances, he got really good at it later. Makayev is is a guy that I would think that will get a, a long look in the top six on the left side. Uh, okay, so let's go back to Steve just very very shortly. How, how does he project for you? Where do you see him in a year's time? Uh, that's a good one. I certainly think he. What I what I really think they hope is they they get a good top six minutes out of him with the Marlies, and he can really really prove that he belongs. He's being a college player is a little bit older. He's not like your typical OHL player coming out. Um, uh, so he's 21, 22, and I would think that he might get a game or two with the Leafs if if he's as good as what he appears to be. Uh, but you got to see what he can do around better players, and you got to see what he can do around lesser players. Uh, does he does he have players play to his level? Does he rise to another level? Uh, I would think that uh, he he's gone up. He is he's easily one of their top five prospects at this point. Uh, he uh, and I would think in a year's time he'd be knocking on the door for uh, for a job with the Leafs and and they need to start that churn going. They need to get these these younger players developed with the Marlies ready to take over roles because the salary cap's not going anywhere. We all know this team has an issue with the salary cap and, and players uh, uh, capping out. Um, so they'll, they're going to need guys like him, if not him, somebody else to come in at the minimum for three years and. And uh, and really contribute. So Leafs have informal skates this week, and uh, we just told everybody that Kristen uh, has reported that uh, Hall had to leave with with medical staff. Don't know exactly what that is or, or what's going on. But what's your take from from what you've seen at the informal skates? Well, there's a lot of Marleys and a lot of Growlers on the ice too, so it's pretty yeah. hard to get a read. But 
they do look pretty energetic. They do look like they're having fun out there. Whenever they score, there's a big celebration. White rubbing it in on blue, blue rubbing it in on white. I found it interesting that uh, that both Jack Campbell and Peter Mrazek played for the same team. I believe that was the blue team uh, that won, and and and. Uh, and uh, Wayne Simmons seems to score a lot of goals. I don't really know who the other two goalies were. I presume maybe Joseph Wall was one of them, but I, 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 I couldn't make it out. I, I wish I had better eyes. Um, yeah, so they're, they're certainly having fun. Uh, the only regulars that weren't here were, um, to my eyes, were uh, Morgan Riley, John Tavares, and Austin Matthews. And like you say, uh, like Kristen said, Justin Hall left early. So it looks like they're pretty much all present and accounted for. I hope Morgan Riley was just his choice not to play. I know he left the scrimmage a couple of days ago like Justin Hall did. So hopefully that that's not an injury. It's just a decision not to play. Okay, you mentioned uh, JT. Uh, the last memory of him on the ice was, was uh, not very nice. Got smashed, <laughs> got smashed and took a big shot to the head, but also uh, wrecked his knee. Uh, do you think he's ready to go? Yeah, he looked fine. He he skated on Monday uh, when uh, another scrimmage that we were allowed to watch. They have some pretty severe COVID protocols on on the media until uh, training camp opens. This is just sort of voluntary workout. So they they let us in on Monday. They let us in today, and and JT looked uh, totally fine, totally fine as he skated. Uh, there didn't look like there was going to be any problem with his uh, readiness for training camp. At least the last time I watched him, which was two days ago. Okay, so the big story with, with uh, JT last year was um, they asked him to play or be more defensively responsible, and he was, and, and it affected his totals, but I think he was much more effective for the team. Um, who would they lean on to do that aside from him this year, do you think? Well, that's a good question. I think Alex Kerfoot's going to have a bigger role. Um, uh, defensive responsibility on the high-flying Toronto Maple Leafs. That's a tough one, Jim. Can I come back to that later? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I mean, you're going to sacrifice totals. And, and, you know, as I say that, I, because I'm old enough to remember, that's what Scotty Bowman did with Steve Eiserman, and, and the totals went down, but, but the team went up eventually. And, and quite frankly, don't you think that needs to happen here? Yeah, but I don't think you want to put the brakes on what Austin Matthews and Mitch Marner can do, right? I mean, I don't think anybody's going to mind if if Austin Matthews challenges again for the Rocket Richard, or if Mitch Marner can keep pace for the for the Art Ross, I don't, I don't, I don't see defense being the problem. I don't see offense being the problem. I don't think you want to curb the offensive guys. I I think the roles that we saw the players have last year, because it's pretty much the same roster returning except for changes on the left wing. Uh, I think they're going to continue with right. So Jason Spets is going to. You got to hope that you get another 12 to 15 goals out of Jason Spezza from the fourth line. You got to hope that Pierre Engvall uh, can be uh, consistent. You hope that Mikhaev can maybe step it up in terms of his offense. Uh, I don't know much about whether Andre Case and David Kampf, with their, or Kase, I guess is his name. Uh, I don't know what uh, they're necessarily relying on them to do. I, I think one of them will be the third line center, and Alex Kerfoot will, will be a left winger on the top six. Uh, you know, Curtis Gabriel looks like a bit of a bit of a monster the way he the way he skates around the ice. So we'll, we'll see uh, what, what Michael Bunting can do. He's going to get an audition. He was skating with uh, John Tavares uh, on Monday. Um, there, there's there's a lot of question marks for the new guys, but I think the for the guys coming in, I don't think they're going to tinker much with what their rules were. 
Okay, um, let's talk about Austin Matthews. Uh, obviously won the, the Rocket Richard and missed some games and, and had a wrist injury and had, had it repaired um, in the off season. And so the, the obligatory quick line is, if he could do that with a wrist problem, what can he do with a healthy wrist? I mean, it, is he ready to go? Is that all healed? And, and can you actually sort of add to what the injury exactly was? Well, I don't know specifically what the injury was. I imagine it was attended. It certainly was something you could operate on and fix. The six-week date, I think, is uh, later this week. I think it might actually be Friday. So he is on schedule to be ready to go when training camp opens uh, in a week's time. So that's not a problem. I believe he's skating. He's certainly not scrimmaging. Uh, on Monday, uh, he was spotted with a cast on um, at, the, at the media tour. So that wasn't off. That doesn't necessarily mean that's bad news. That probably means he's just on schedule for what's uh, for his recovery. Uh, we'll certainly find out more about that on Wednesday when this all uh, opens for real. Um, but I, you know, you know, Sidney Crosby was bothered by a wrist injury too. Like right? yeah. these things happen to players, and they addressed it. I think we all would have been a little happier if they had addressed it the next day after the, they were eliminated from the playoffs and have let them have a full season of training or summer of training. Uh, but you know they they've chosen the path they've chosen and and hopefully the uh, the surgery will rectify the issue and goodness knows the goalies uh if he could score like like that on a sore wrist what's he going to do with a healthy wrist this, this is a fascinating team because it, to me it's it's right on the edge you know and on the other side of the edge is is good or bad we don't know i mean but it's you know which way a fork in the road i guess would be the better way to describe it that's that's how i look at it um kyle dubas was quoted recently as saying that he would consider or has thought about breaking up the top four which is a not a reversal but a, a, a major change from what he would have said at the end of uh, last season um, having said that i mean even if you decide to do that i don't know that there's a lineup to acquire them because of the contracts uh, how do you see them proceeding that way oh this team is together they are all in on these guys i mean i i uh, i heard kyle say that too um, and, you know, that's his job is to consider offers or to consider moves and what, what, whatever will make his team better. And, I, and I, I believe him when he says there wasn't a deal on the table that would have made his team better. So they have some elite talent here, and they're paying for it. Uh, they're paying them, you know, the market price that was determined on the day they signed the contract. And I think they're happy to live with that. They know that these guys will get them into the playoffs. And the only thing that matters now is winning in the playoffs, is winning a round and then maybe winning two, and then who knows after that. Uh, so they're all in with these guys. Now, if it doesn't work this year, if they have made a, if they have made a choice that, that's going to backfire, perhaps netminding, perhaps uh, – perhaps aging out on the defense or, or something like that, um, uh, then, then if, if they don't, obviously to me, if they don't win a, a round of the playoffs, the, the management team will be fired. I think, I think they're, they are on their last legs with this, with this plan, and new managers will come in with new ideas, but the same lineup, and then we'll see what, what changes from there. But I, I do think they are all in on this. Um, they're, they're sticking to their plan. They... they they're an analytically driven team, and the analytics tell them if they keep doing this, their time will come, basically. Um, and they're sticking with what got them here, and if it works, you know, the city will celebrate, and if it doesn't work, 
I think the team will go in a different direction. I'm, I'm glad you brought up analytics because I, I, as I look at the their analytical picture, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, I, I think their analytics are based on the regular season in, in which they, they would bear fruit. I, I don't think those analytics work in a best four out of seven series. What do you think about that? I, I think there's some merit to what you said there. I think in the overall, the, the regular season uh, you can, is, is almost predictable with, with the players. You can almost plug in their numbers at the end of the year, providing they remain healthy. And I think the challenge, I think the challenge in the analytics community is to figure out how, uh, to, to figure out on a game by game basis what will work analytically. Because you can, like, I don't know, Sheldon Keith is taking some heat for failing to adjust in the playoffs. Uh, if players don't perform, I don't know what you're going to adjust to, but, um, uh, but you have to know a, how, how a system works, but b how the other team is adapting to the system and, and change accordingly. And, and that's the challenge of the seven game playoff. And I don't think the Maple Leafs necessarily have figured that part of it out, hmm. but I don't think they're necessarily going to give up trying to figure that part of it out. Um, and I'm, I'm curious to know how the analytics of a, of a one-on-one seven games in a row, um, what the measurements truly are that they're looking at. I don't think they necessarily look at the very same things uh, that the blogosphere looks at with analytics. I think they're, they're very specifically looking at their system and who's doing it well and uh, and um, I'm playing players according to that rather than anything that you could look at on uh, on the various websites. I love the various websites. I love the stories that they give you, but but... Um, I don't. I don't. I, I think in the team basis, they're digging down at a very granular level to to learn about their players and to learn about their systems and learn about their styles. Do you think they have corrected the problem they had against Montreal? Games five and game six, they weren't ready. They admitted they weren't ready, which is a shocking admission, as true as it <laughs> is. I just, I, I can't. I, I don't know where the the finger gets pointed on that, and and what could be done about it. Well, I guess we won't find out. Maybe they, they shouldn't have gotten to a game five or a game six. They should have won one. Uh, and maybe they would have won one if, if John Tavares didn't get injured on a second shift. I mean, there's yeah. many, many ways you can look at that, right? Um, they, I don't think we can know if they've addressed that until they get there and whether they play with confidence or they play like a deer in the headlights. Uh, but I don't think you can really and truly know that answer until at some point in April. Uh, and, and one of the other big question marks is the Morgan Riley situation. I'm actually going to throw him in. You've got th- uh, three, yeah, three UFAs that that may or may not cause a problem throughout the course of the regular season. In terms of do you move them? Um, how do the negotiations go if there are any? Mikheyev, Riley, and Jack Campbell. How problematic do you think any one of those three are? All three are. Well, I don't think problem is the right word. I mean, I think you can see that the three players can probably be a little bit upset, but I think part of the motivation uh, for letting players play in their free agency year is to maybe get the most out of them, to uh, that extra motivation. We've, we've seen it in other sports, and we've seen it in hockey, where players heading into free agency seem to have their career years knowing that there's a payday available. And I think that's as good a motivation as anything if I'm a manager to let them do that and the team benefits. I know the, the price will change as a result, but you're, you're maybe banking on the players having that kind of year that you need, that X factor, the, those X factor seasons, and then worry about paying the price in the summer when, when uh, you, you've uh, reaped the benefits of that year, perhaps. Oh, it's going to be interesting, isn't it? 
<laughs> it already is. Let's drop the puck. I, I, they, they're skating enough. They look fine out there. Let's just get the season going here. I'm ready. Yeah, well, they did that last year, so <laughs> there's the gate. Let's get going. Kevin, thanks very much. Appreciate it. My pleasure, Jim. Talk to you later. Yes, thank you. That's Kevin McGrand from the Toronto Star. Coming up next, we'll talk football. CFL on TSN. Sideline reporter Matthew Shinetti will join you and I on Toronto Today on TSN 1050 Live on your radio, live streaming podcasting and on demand on Apple CarPlay and Android Auto through the iHeartRadio Canada app. Now, back to Toronto Today. Toronto Today, Jim Taddy with you until 1, then it's gameplay with Matthew Cause, and then Al's brother gets roasted, roasted on overdrive for his prediction of a Jays win. Last night, of course, the Jays finished off with Tampa at 3 this afternoon at the ball yard, losing 2 nothing. last night. Al's brother will be roasted and toasted. Let's talk football now. Matthew Shinetti from the TS, uh, TSN on CFL is here. Matthew, how are you today, sir? Uh, wow, it's a little a little garbled. Um, do you wanna, Chris, do you want to reconnect there? Uh, so we couldn't exactly hear what he was saying. It, it sounded like he was uh, changing the oil on his car, and the car was running. So we'll get, get Matthew back. Bruce Hills will be by uh, in the final segment, president of Just for Laughs. He's going to help us pay tribute to Norm MacDonald, who sadly passed away yesterday at age 61 from leukemia. And again, our thoughts and prayers to his family and friends all over Canada and all over the world. This guy was a world-renowned entertainer. As you know, you don't need me. You don't need me to tell you that. Um, and uh, is Matthew back with us? He is. Matthew, are you there? I, I am. Are you, oh. you have me, Jim. Jeez, yeah, I, I thought you were changing the oil on your car the last time. No, that's actually the crowd noise that they pump in during Argos practice. Really impressive. Yeah. Impressive. Uh, so while we're on the Argos, let me ask you this to start off. I mean, obviously, some departures the team announced uh, due to COVID protocols. What's your take on that? Um, I think it's uh, just another extension of the conversation we were having a couple of weeks ago vis-a-vis the uh, Edmonton Elks. Um, whatever, whatever situation players and coaches alike um, who of their own volition and choice decide not to get the vaccine, Whatever they uh, would have decided or thought um, in terms of the value of that decision, it runs counter to, especially in this case, Maple Leaf Sports Entertainment. Um, and their protocols, uh, unfortunately, the fact is this. You may choose not to take a vaccine or not do uh, certain things, but uh, if your employer deems it, uh, certainly you have the right to challenge that, but if your employer deems it, as a matter of public health, uh, and uh, you decide not to uh, take the vaccine, here's the result. I mean, it's, 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 it's no more clear than that. And at this point, um, you know, the Argos are going to be relying on Rich Stubler, you know, the venerable veteran uh, coach and defensive coordinator. And uh, we, we will see what happens uh, after, uh, after they go to uh, Regina this week. Interesting times, that's for sure, and uh, I think you summed it up nicely. Um, so let's get into week number seven, and it starts off with a couple of teams that, um, uh, well, their quarterback challenge, that Stampeders 2-4, and four, visiting Hamilton 2-3. and three. Bo Levi Mitchell came back last week, stumbled out of the starting gate, but found his game, and, and the Cats, what are they going to do? Well, at this point, it's, it's, it looks like David Wofford will get the, uh, the nod, but we'll get a confirmation of that uh, later today, uh, certainly tomorrow, but you know, Jeremiah Masoli will suit up as well, and 
you know, you have to, you, you wonder if there, it's going to be a platoon situation because, you know, David Wofford obviously won some games with Saskatchewan Rough Riders a few years ago. But I think everyone universally would probably admit that when comparing David Wofford's abilities to Jeremiah Masoli's abilities, they might not necessarily be on par, which is why Jeremiah Masoli was the, you know, the, 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 the prohibitive uh, starter for the, uh, for the Hamilton Tire Cats. He had a rib injury. And now with the, uh, the lower body injury to Dane Evans, uh, yet again, here we are, Jim, another year, and the Hamilton Tire Cats are dealing with injury issues. So uh, I, I, I would say it was certainly a gut punch to lose to the Argos after such a momentum-building win on Labor Day. And to lose, a, start, uh, lose their starting, uh, starting quarterback in Dane Evans um, certainly doesn't help the idea of them having uh, that flexibility and that depth at quarterback. But, but here we are. I mean, Dave Watford's going to get an opportunity, but I imagine that we will see Jeremiah Masoli at some point in the game um, because, yeah, I believe Levi Mitchell's coming into Hamilton with a certain amount of, uh, a certain amount of swagger after uh, that win against the, uh, the Elks. And Calgary, to, to, to be frank, with the way that uh, Winnipeg is setting the pace in the West, uh, every team, you know, just below them is kind of in a bottleneck, and that bottleneck is going to get tighter as the season goes on. And we're in a sprint, so every win, especially now after Labor Day, matters. Um, the the Evans injury, I mean, there was obvious pain. He was distraught. I mean, you could see the pain he was in, but you couldn't tell. It, it almost looked like a hip injury, didn't it? Yeah, I mean, I think anyone who watched that game uh, would have seen in those first. You know, it, it, I don't think it happened on that play in which he was tackled and fell. I think it happened. Uh, a few plays before, he was doing some great, great scrambling and ripping himself away from tackles. But certainly when you do that, I, I, it certainly doesn't take a doctor to tell you. You're using a tremendous amount of torque and body position to evade those those, those tackles, uh, from especially how well the, that Argos defensive line was playing. I think uh, even though Dane didn't know when it happened, I, it's, it, I think it's fair to assume that, that his he put his body under a tremendous amount of torque when he was... Uh, trying to evade those tackles, and he was certainly hurting. But the MRI came back at least with some um, constructive news, if nothing else, that he will only be out four to six weeks. He was at practice earlier this week and didn't appear to be favoring any particular side or limping. Uh, I think this is probably a case of holding him out, letting him get the, the rest that he needs. But you know, as I say again, not to repeat myself, four to six weeks puts you like, you know, well over the three-quarter mark of the season. So. Uh, you know, it's going to be crucial for the Ticats because if they don't have Dane Evans and, you know, uh, a banged-up Jeremiah Masoli, it means they're going to have to rely on David Watford and they're going to have to, you know, maybe bring somebody else in. But at this point, I mean, they're going to have to take it literally one play at a time against the Stampeders because um, it, 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 it would probably not be a good situation if Hamilton's finding itself uh, down a couple of quarterbacks. Yeah, and I guess um, uh, the unknown motivation is you know hosting the Grey Cup game. There's always pressure on the host city to have their team in it, and and obviously in Hamilton's situation, the Grey Cup doesn't isn't played there very often. Uh, so that may sort of motivate some sort of a, an ad at quarterback, don't you think? Yeah, I think so. I, I also, you know, Hamilton now, right? I, for for Ticats fans, they would say regrettably uh, holds the. Uh, the record for longest Grey Cup drought since 1999, and obviously the uh, the Grey Cup hasn't been uh, played in Hamilton since uh, '96 when Doug Flutie and the Argos won it in the Snow Bowl against uh, the Edmonton football team. Um, but it's funny, uh, you talk to Orlando Steinauer, and he's very bullish on this. As much as everyone is is maybe nitpicking um, what's going on and, and some of the negative things and 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 some of the obvious injury woes they've had, you know, 
they may not be looking at the great play of Jalen Acklin, the great play of Sean Thomas Erlington. You know, Orlando is really trying to build a culture of, hey, you know what, it's us, certainly us against the world. And within these four walls, we are the only people that matter and the only opinions that matter. Uh, but it's going to be difficult if they have to deal with, you know, quarterback issues and quarterback, um, you know, ailments and, and, and losing Dane Evans, especially as well as he played in the Labor Day Classic, is, certainly is a setback. But um, if, nothing, if nothing else, the Ticats have dealt with a tremendous amount of adversity going all the way back to Zach Caleros' injury in 2015. So this team knows how to, how to, how to live and how to succeed shorthanded and getting to Great Cup shorthanded after, you know, certainly Dane Evans came in for, uh, for Jeremiah Masoli in 2019. This is just another chapter in uh, another hill that the, uh, the Ticats have to climb. Okay, so the second game on Friday night, the Argos at three and two uh, against the Saskatchewan Roughriders in Regina. They're also at three and two. Um, I would suggest to you that you know obviously the Argos would be happy with the win last Friday against Hamilton, but that wasn't a great week for the Argonauts, was it? No, uh, certainly not. I mean, given yeah, this is a team that has preached culture and, and and preached sustainability, and for them to to lose their, uh, or not lose, but have to go ahead and uh, maybe part ways with their defensive coordinator is uh, is certainly something that I don't think that they, or Ryan Dinwiddie would have wanted. And, uh, and all the, the scuttlebutt, uh, scuttlebutt about uh, Chris Jones coming in certainly provides a distraction that they, they certainly didn't want to have after uh, the grinding out such, a, such an important win against the Ticats. And now that they have to go into Saskatchewan, given Saskatchewan's um, certainly been handed a, a bit of welts by the uh, by the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. It's uh, I can only imagine that that crowd in Regina is going to be looking at um, at an Argos team that is still trying to find its way and and be ready and be on top of them. As you know, you could hear with the Argos trying to practice with the uh, with the artificial noise. Um, this is a big test for Ryan Dinwiddie. He's going to have to go ahead knowing the distractions that are outside the locker room, especially uh, not more than a week and a half after his team were pulled into distractions and personal foul penalties and nearly 100 yards and penalties against the uh, Hamilton Tigercats. He has a lot to do as a head coach, and this is really going to be a test of that. And maybe also a test of Nick Arbuckle, who said after the game um, that he wasn't all that pleased with his second-half performance. Uh, this offense maybe has shown just a bit of what it's capable of in, in, in that win against Winnipeg a month ago, but uh, certainly now going into Regina and that hostile crowd, uh, this is a big test for the Argus. Yeah, I, I totally concur with what you're saying about the offense because I think early in the season, certainly uh, wins in Calgary and uh, and Winnipeg, uh, it, it looked uh, it looked pretty good. Those games, uh, the offense looked good. Um, but having said that, in the two games against Hamilton, certainly the Labor Day game, they just didn't develop anything, um, and and they got away with it. Quite frankly, on Friday against the Cats, wouldn't you agree with that? Yeah, and, I, and they can't and they can't they haven't been able to push the ball down the field the way the way they would have liked to. You could certainly see, and I think that's the uh, that was the assessment of Nick Arbuckle when he was discussing um, maybe the inability to put the game away, get that extra touchdown, be able to look at those big play opportunities, um, and that those are always key, especially in in the CFL. You know, to be able to stretch the field, tilt the field against the opposition, you know, put them on the back foot. You know, the Argos have have done a great job in terms of establishing the run game. They did that in the first half against Hamilton, but that ability to use those dynamic receivers over and over again to really hurt teams. I, I, everything you've seen out of Ryan Dinwiddie when he was working under Dave Dickinson in Calgary, they, it's, it is not a conservative offense out there. They want to be able to take shots downfield. You've seen it with Bo Levi Mitchell, obviously what he did against Edmonton in the uh, rematch of their Labor Day Classic out in Alberta. But I, 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 I certainly think that Ryan Dinwiddie, as much as he's 
helping his offensive line out by establishing a strong running game with John White and uh, DJ Foster. He uh, he would love to be able to look in the garbuckle and know that when he needs a 25, 30, 40-yard play, that his quarterback and his receivers are going to give it to him. Uh, let's wrap it up with this. I mean, Winnipeg's at 5-1. and one. They go into Edmonton. Um, Elks are 2-3. and three. Uh, If Winnipeg is to win this and go 6-1, and one, which is totally predictable, I mean, that, that is a, that's almost a coast w- with a compressed schedule, isn't it? There isn't a team at this point in the league that can match what the Winnipeg Blue Bombers are doing. And if you're a CFL fan, enjoy what you're watching because, you know, Jim, you and I have spoken years ago and several times in between about uh, Zach Kolaros and, and his journey. And to watch him play, and the one thing about Kolaros is when he's feeling confident in himself and can think of himself as the best player in the league, there are things that he can do in terms of his intelligence and physical ability that, uh, you know, you know, I certainly can, can, can look at Bo Levi Mitchell and even Jeremiah Masoli on, on his best day and certainly Vernon Adams on his best day and say, yeah, those guys could do the same things too. But it's the consistency that Kolaros has been playing with over the last six, seven weeks that really makes you... Uh, you know, stand up and, and give a round of applause, not just to him, but certainly Willie Jefferson and Adam Big Hill and that entire Blue Bombers offensive line. Mike O'Shea has come in certainly with a plan to hold on to that uh, great cup, especially after they've held it on to it since, they've held on to it since 2019. And at this point, if they go six and one in a shortened season, uh, you know, being at the halfway mark, uh, there is no denying that they are the best team in the league and certainly, certainly uh, favorites to retain the great cup. Matthew, thanks very much. Appreciate it. Take, take care, my friend. That is Matthew Shinetti from the CFL on TSN. I believe when I introed him, I said the TSN on CFL. Ah, it's midweek. Come on. Tats is, uh, you know, he's, he's idling now. He's uh, Everything's going good. Carburetor got cleaned out in that interview. So Matthew Shinetti, CFL on TSN. And uh, to, uh, I just, you know, the, the Argonaut situation, they win in Calgary, they lose in Winnipeg, come home and win against the Bombers. And things were looking pretty good there. But I, I totally agree with what he said. The offense hasn't developed. They're not uh, sort of creating space by widening the field, as they say. Football cliche 125. Uh, and, and so that you look for that to develop. And tough, tough to do that in Saskatchewan against the Riders. Uh, and again, with the crowd noise, you heard that he had to, the, you know, the Argos are having that crowd noise pumped into their practice today so they can get accustomed to where this goes. We're going to have some uh, memories with Norm MacDonald and, and his humor next. And, and on the way out, uh, some humor from Aaron Rodgers of the Packers. As you know, the Saints wiped out the Packers in opening week 38-3. And on Pat McAfee's show, Aaron Rodgers uh, went sort of off the edge. For those of you who went back and watched it, or, or will go back and watch it, um, I don't like to make a lot of excuses for interceptions. You know, there's some, there's some, you know, ones you wish you had back. There's some ones that really aren't your fault. That one was entirely due to the double nut shot I took. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, no. This is Toronto Today on TSN 1050 Live on your radio, live streaming, podcasting, and on-demand on Apple CarPlay and Android Auto through the iHeartRadio Canada app. Now, back to Toronto Today. The bowel cancer, it got brave. You got to give it to the bowel cancer. You know, they were in a battle. And then, what the? sure i'm not a doctor but i'm pretty sure if the cancer dies i mean if you die the cancer also dies at exactly the same time so that to me is not a loss that's a draw that's a you know what i mean it's not like the cancer's gonna jump up and go ah uncle bert's wife where is he 
That is classic Norm Macdonald, to say the very least. Uh, sadly, passing away yesterday at age 61 from his battle with leukemia. Uh, we're going to celebrate and, and remember now. Let's bring in Bruce Hills, president of Just for Laughs. Bruce, welcome. And off the top, I want to say sorry for the loss of your friend. I mean, you had to know him very well. Listen, it's uh, it's been a brutal uh, couple of days now. I'm still shocked. I did not know he was sick. I did not know him uh, to that level of, uh, you know, I didn't, you know, I was not aware. So he kept it uh, very private. And all of us are, are grieving um, as we lost uh, uh, a master of the stand-up space, a Canadian and a great friend of mine and uh, the Just for Last Festival. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, you're trying to sum up what he brought to the table. Uh, to to be able to uh, become yourself, use that as humor, and, and uh, perfect that, that stand-up routine. I mean, he he was as good as anybody, and, and because he was himself, it was unique. It's not like there's two Norm McDonald's out there. You know what? That's, so that's very astute. Uh, there, there isn't anyone, and that's what made him so special. And he was like that from day one. Um, obviously, he got more seasoned as time went on. But in 1986, at my first festival, when I was just a driver, Norm did a couple of gala sets. You know, on uh, you know one of the shows you see on TV for ever since, hmm. um, and he killed it. And he killed it looking like a seasoned veteran. And he killed it because he was like. Again, no one else on stage that evening. And every joke was well-written. He took his time. I mean, one of the great things about Norm was obviously uh, his delivery, his deadpan delivery. Hmm. You know, his patience to let a joke land and not rush it, you know, especially if he was on a, on a good night. Um, and, um, and he just had an approach and a delivery of his material that was like a, uh, no one else. And he had that honesty and smarts and, and, and was so brave about saying things that others wouldn't say in a way, relishing the opportunity to get on stage and to say something that he felt strongly about. I mean, listen, even on the weekend update on SNL, he basically lost his job because he wouldn't let OJ off the hook for all the, yep. you know, the BS that that, uh, I mean, more than BS, but you know, his boss fired him because he was a friend of OJ's. But he knew he was taking a risk, but he couldn't hold back <laughs> well, <laughs> because he's Norm. And, and, and that's, a, that's a true comic is, you know, you need people to push the envelope. And, and he certainly did that, didn't he? Absolutely. Uh, you know, if uh, I, I remember, you know, sometimes he was doing a TV set for us and I was the comedy booker at the time. I saw that look in his eyes. I go, uh oh, what is he doing now? Um, you know, 90% of the time it was comedy gold, but once in a while it was, okay, he's going to go for that now, is he? Um, but that was fun. And that's why he was a comics comic. That's why the comics all went to the back of the room to watch him. And funny enough, you know, in the early 90s when he really took off, the British comics were very snobby about their place in the comedy world, um, really sort of dismissed a lot of American Canadian comics as sort of generic and observational, hacky people. They, and, you know, and I think they were pretty, uh, pretty rough. But when Norm walked out there, they stopped and they walked and they they responded to him immediately, just like they responded to people like Mitch Hedberg and Bill Hicks. Hmm. Um, you know, they. Norm was special, and um, when he returned in 2015, um, there was a lot of people backstage, a lot of comics wanting to come say hi, and a lot of comics who had never met him. 
and half of them were British. And when he t- they told Norm that he had made a huge impact on their career, he didn't understand it. He didn't actually believe it. And Jimmy Carr, who's a pretty significant star now, even now in Canada, um, told him how much uh, he had influenced his uh, getting into comedy. He turned to me afterwards and said, do you think that's true? You know, is that real? How did they watch me? I mean, is that possible? You know, in the 90s? And I said, yeah, Norm, our, our TV shows ended up on Channel 4 and all over England. We were a big deal and you were on lots of our shows. And those comics came back in the middle of their shows tonight to find you, to tell you how important you were to them. Um, it's real. He goes, wow. Mm. He, did, he didn't expect it. <laughs> didn't get it, I think, even to a degree. But uh, that's what made him special as well. Well, you th- you think of the twinkle in his eye and his facial expression, and it was almost a dare. You could feel him daring you, and you know I'm going to mangle this. You'll know the the correct uh, delivery of this line. But is there anything better than better than Ezra number two, Ezra? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, listen. There's there. It's, it's funny. I last night I watched all the Letterman sets from the first. Uh, sorry, in the in the sort of eighty nine or ninety through ninety five. And it was all my favorite jokes um, uh, and jokes that I even think about. I mean, there's a joke about, you know, you know, what's, uh, you know, when, you know, you lie for no reason, you know, um, and that, that joke. I every time I say so, I agree to something that I don't know what I'm talking about. I, go, I always go back to that norm joke because it's uh, it's just such a, a funny but smart joke that, uh, you know, sort of finds a place in your mind that other comics don't. Oh, that, that's extremely well said. Uh, and, and you know, again, you know, to think of of a guy trying to build his uh, his onstage persona and understanding that he has to sink or swim or she with whoever they are. I mean, that's the ultimate guts, isn't it? Oh, uh, absolutely. And uh, listen, I, there are some of the funniest stories, uh, and not stories I heard in the last year, uh, last uh, day, but stories I, you know, because I'm a huge Norm fan. With Norm comes up often with other comedians. And they talk about like corporate gigs they did with Norm and how he approached them. You know, he didn't care that they were corporate. He just <laughs> did and said whatever he felt he needed to say, no matter what the demographic was in the room. He didn't care less. And on some of those, um, not that I want to push to another audio service, but some of the best interviews with Norm are with Stern. Because he he just answers the question that that Howard asks. He doesn't worry about the public relations uh, or what his publicist is going to say a couple of minutes later. He just answers. He, he there's an honest answer. He gets it, even if it's not politically correct, even if it's not maybe in his best interest. And that's why he was one of the all-time best guests of Stearns. But also why Conan and Letterman looked at him with such awe and. You know, especially in the case of David, uh, Dave gave Norm his first TV set. You know, so there's a big difference in age and experience and fame. But David had an enormous amount. And, and you could see in his final set that he did in 2015. And anyone haven't seen it. It's a beautiful, very emotional piece of work from Norm. They respected him. And man, did they laugh at him. They both, both, you know, those two especially were massive fans of Norm's, and Norm did some of his best work for them because he respected both of them so much, especially David. Hmm. Bruce, thanks very much for stopping by. I wish we had more time. Thank you very much. Cheers. Bruce Hills, president of Just for Laughs, uh, reminiscing about Norm MacDonald. Uh, you know, I guess you would say that he defined unfiltered, and you can spend a lot of time on YouTube watching his bits, and they're going to live on forever. And sadly, uh, he passed away yesterday at age 
61. Uh, big loss, and, and, you know, just... You could go on and on about the bits. I think it's just better if you if you watch them or, or remember them yourself. It, it's fantastic stuff. Um, while we're on the way out, Sam Mitchell was guesting on Sirius XM the other day. He talked about Toronto nightlife and, and how they would use that to try and stop Allen Iverson back in the day. When I was coaching in Toronto one night, uh, I saw him out at a restaurant. and We had a 12 o'clock game, and this was one of my favorite restaurants. So the bartender called me and said, AI is in here with a bunch of uh, players and friends so i told him kept feeding him sending him champagne on me right just give it to him says on the house so about 12 o'clock the guy called me he's still in there i'm like keep feeding him so we're out there they're out there warming up i come out the tunnel ai runs by me he's a coach i know that was you sending all that champagne to my <laughs> table and he said i want you to understand something i drank it all and i'm still gonna give you 50 tonight Classic. And speaking of classics, Al's brother was already pacing around the studio in the last commercial break, and he knows that he's going to get, um, yeah, he's going to have to pay his bills on overdrive this afternoon. He knows what he's up for. He's already sort of cataloged how first up went over him and how I went over him, and I'm sure Matthew Cause next on gameplay will go over him as well, just because that's what Cause would do. Um, and so Al's brother is, uh, well, he's... He's not distraught, but he's aware of what's going to happen. Uh, stay with us. Coming up next, Gameplay with Matt Cause. Thanks for stopping by. Enjoy your afternoon.